Catherine of Siena once said, We've had enough exhortations to be silent. Cry out with a thousand tongues. I see the world is rotten because of silence. Welcome to the 70th episode of St. Diffness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. It's the last episode of season three, so I really want to thank you all for coming along this journey with me and with this little podcast. It's a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because the time for silence around our emotional and mental health struggles is over. It's time to speak out about our experiences for the sake of our suffering sisters and brothers. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, some really futuristic innovations are happening with AI and the mental health of cancer patients. Yahoo gets us started. Good mental health is important. And early research suggests AI might help diagnose that health for people who are under a particularly heavy strain. Scientists have developed a combination of deep learning algorithms that use eye tracking to gauge the mental health of cancer patients after surgery. Ideally, this would help spot patients likely to be suffering from anxiety or depression when a human can't perform an initial psychological assessment. The system uses a mix of convolutional neural network and long short-term memory algorithms to study the eye movements of patients wearing tracking glasses while they contemplate artwork. The AI uses the gaze and pupil position data from those glasses to determine how likely someone was to raise concerns on established hope and mental health well-being questionnaires they would fill out later. The initial results were promising, with accuracy between 93.8 and 95%, depending on the test. However, the study only looked at 25 subjects, and more work would be necessary to ensure the AI works reliably in flagging at-risk patients. So while obviously we have to keep in mind how incredibly small the sample size of the study is, it's really exciting to think about the idea of AI informing providers of mental health symptoms that potentially haven't even risen to the level of recognition for the person experiencing them. One of the difficult things about mental health is that there isn't a test that provides a diagnosis. Sure, there's screening tools that can aid in our diagnosis, but it's never been something like a blood test that can tell us definitively if we have high cholesterol or not, or a blood pressure machine pumping out numbers that are unmistakable. Something along these lines for mental health would not only bring comfort to those of us suffering, but also to those of us who walk along us as therapists and doctors. But until that becomes a reality, we will continue to work hard to open up, share the pain and suffering in our hearts, and go forward together from there. On to the next topic, New York schools are getting serious about screening for mental health, and that's pretty darn exciting. Gothamist.com gets us going. In a move intended to address the trauma caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, the city plans to launch a mental health screening initiative for public school students, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced on Monday. The initiative will assess students' mental well-being at schools in 27 of the hardest-hit neighborhoods severely impacted by the pandemic. According to de Blasio, students will first be evaluated through a five-minute questionnaire with questions that will include a student's thoughts and feelings, their perspective on schools, and relationships with friends and family. The neighborhoods include East Tremont, Bushwick, Queensbridge, Stapleton, and Washington Heights, which are largely black and brown communities. Another component to the problem involves adding extra support services to the 27 community schools, which work with community-based organizations to respond to a child's social-emotional needs. Some examples include mental health clinics, food pantries, immigration counseling, and academic reports. 
This is the kind of good news related to mental health that I love hearing. Mental health screening across the various domains of life that we're involved in is so vital. And having this outreach starting in schools is just such an absolute blessing. So many of us go on suffering without relief, without knowing how to ask for help, without having the words to say that might connect us to that help. And this type of screening can catch all of that, connect us to somebody who can walk alongside us, and it really has the ability to turn someone's life around. Let's hope one bright spot to come out of the pandemic will be more initiatives like this in schools, parish communities, sports leagues, and anywhere else it might bear fruit. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Sarah Salkahazi. We're going to get a little help from the book 365 Days with the Saints from the Daughters of St. Paul as we share Sarah's story. So here we go. Born in 1899 in Hungary, Sarah was the daughter of hotel owners and tried out various careers before she finally felt and answered the call to be a nun. She entered the Sisters of Social Service at the age of 30 and really worked hard to help her suffering sisters and brothers. However, she was not permitted to renew her temporary vows because her superior saw just how worn out the work made her. She was disappointed but carried on and eventually was given the opportunity to make her vows later. As the Nazi ideology began to spread through her country, she was outspoken against it. And when Nazis invaded her country in 1943 and began raiding hostels and houses of hospitality, which she was using to hide Jews from the danger, she privately offered her life completely to Christ if he would keep her sisters and those they were trying to protect safe. About one year later, the Nazis discovered what Sarah was doing and took her out to the Danube River where they assassinated her. None of the other sisters of social service were harmed. Sarah was credited with saving 100 Jews and more than 1,000 of her sisters. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. All-powerful God, my loving Father, you created me out of your everlasting love and in your mercy you adopted me as your child. Lord Jesus Christ, you saved me by your precious blood, and you called me to be your disciple. O Holy Spirit, you showered an abundance of grace upon me. Glory be to you forever. O Most Holy Trinity, you accepted the life offering of blessed Sarah Salkahazi, virgin and martyr, for her sisters. Through her intercession, grant me the grace of peace and comfort pouring into the hearts of everyone listening to this podcast in this very moment. And help me to join her in crying out from the depth of my heart. O God of love, enkindle love in me. Come, my Christ, and make my heart your own, that you may love and love and love within me. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I was really depressed for a few years and lost touch with people I really care about. I'm doing better now, but I don't know how to reconnect. Any tips? I feel like I owe them an explanation, but I also don't want to overwhelm them. Let's all start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous, for continued mental health and wellness, and for a clear path forward as she looks to reconnect with the people she cares about. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, I'd like to say what a blessing it is that you're feeling better. What a great witness and testament to your strength and perseverance. So blessed be God for that, and we'll keep praying for you for your continued emotional health. I'd like to start by saying you don't owe anyone an explanation, right? If you feel safe and comfortable sharing some of your experience with those people who you're planning on reconnecting with, that's great. But don't feel obligated to share with everyone and don't feel obligated to share everything that you went through. There are usually going to be people who you were close with who, uh, you know, are willing to listen and sit with us and have some understanding. And inevitably, there will be those who will be uncomfortable and will want to pull back or even disappear. And sadly, this is just a part of of life that we all have to be willing to cope with as we move forward through mental health symptoms toward wellness. But I would toss a couple of items out here for your consideration. Remember that trying to remake friends is mentally draining. It's hard work. It takes time. So take it easy with yourself and be willing to cut yourself some slack. Next, remember that opening up and explaining your depression, even to people you feel safe with, is hard. It's hard to be vulnerable without knowing what the response will be. And that's especially true because we don't want our friends to treat us differently or be scared around us because of what we've told them. This is, again, why it's so important to only really share with those you feel safe with and to cut yourself some slack if it takes more time than you expected. And last, I want to dispel this myth that we shouldn't share about our mental health because we don't want to burden our friends. So many of us keep things bottled up because we think sharing our pain will be burdening others. But good friends, good family members want to be good to you, want to know how you're doing, and want to help. And they can't do that unless we're willing to open up and allow them to share some of our burden as we continue to move forward. Remember that we'll be praying for you. Kenny is up next. I know you're not a theologian. Boy, you're right, Kenny. Thanks for pointing that out. But what's your take on Catholics and yoga meditation? Yoga has helped me in the past to calm my anxiety, but I know some Catholics say the practice itself, even just the movements are heretical. I stopped practicing because of it, but I kind of want to get back into it. Well, let's kick this off by praying for Kenny and all of us who have legitimate concerns about engaging in a wide variety of things that we're worried may not be compatible with our Catholic faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks for sending this one in, Kenny. I know a lot of us have worked through this very question and many others just like it. And when they come up on the podcast, I always like to start with this. The fact that you are asking this question shows that you take your faith very seriously. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a great witness to all of us that we have to consider everything we do in light of our faith in Christ and his church. And the fact that you're asking this question helps me to realize that you're most likely going to stay close to the faith no matter what. And that is so beautiful. When it comes to yoga, I realize there are some Catholics who feel like it's completely incompatible with the faith, and okay, that's cool. They probably shouldn't get involved in it at all. 
But I think there are a whole bunch of us who can also see that we can engage in the exercise of yoga for strength, flexibility, meditation, practice calming techniques without it harming our relationship with God. In fact, I've never experienced any of the new age connections that people are so often worried about when I've come across yoga. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I'm saying that in the vast majority of us who engage in yoga, even briefly, we don't find anything incompatible with the faith coming up. It's always good, though, to keep your Catholic sensors up just in case some kind of new age spirituality jumps out of the yoga that you're engaged in. But as long as you're strong in your faith and value it above everything else in your life, I think you can work on that tree pose without any worry. Remember, though, if you feel uncomfortable, you should trust your own gut. All of us are different, and we have to respect that little voice inside of our hearts. Anonymous wraps us up. There have been a few periods in my life where I've struggled with anxiety and depression, and now I have very limited memories of anything that happened during those times, good or bad. Is this normal? And if so, why does this happen? We join together again in prayer for Anonymous and for all of us who experience anxiety, depression, or difficulties with our cognition, that we may have peace, healing, and wellness. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Let's get straight to the question here. Is it normal to have limited memories of periods of one's life when we're depressed or anxious? Yes. Why does this happen? Consider our brains having the need to devote its resources to certain functions. For example, 5% toward breathing, 30% on focusing on the task at hand, etc. Consider all the various functions our brain is engaged in at any given moment. Now think of depression or anxiety coming in and reducing the capacity of your brain to function. For example, your brain might typically function at 95% of capacity when things are going well, but once depression or anxiety enters the scene, the best your brain can do is 60%. So you're left with a brain that still has a lot of work to do, but not as much capacity to do those things well. Hence, we see a reduction in the brain's ability to concentrate and focus, its ability to find motivation and energy, even its ability to want to take care of itself through eating, exercise, and good hygiene. It's that decrease in concentration and focus that most likely accounts for an inability to remember things when we're experiencing mood episodes or spots of overwhelming anxiety. Our brains simply aren't able to function as well as they can when things are going well. So take it easy on yourself, take care of yourself, and remember that you are not alone. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode and for season three of St. Dymphna's Playbook. Remember, we need you to email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in season four. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. We're hoping to be back with season four in February, but it all depends on how many questions come in. So don't be shy. Send them my way. You can DM them on Twitter. Send them to my email, whatever works for you. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>